Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. We have a great show today. Jennifer Million from New York is with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so amazing what you've discovered as your story unfolds. It it makes me get very emotional. And as the listeners are going to hear today, they'll understand why. I just watched your story on CBS Channel 2 New York. And your story covers a topic in adoption that I feel really passionate about. We're going to talk about that today. But I'm just honored to have you on Adoption Now. Um, you're my husband's cousin, so I've heard about you for so long. And <laughs> as we were going through the adoption journey, everyone's like, call Jen. She's adopted from Columbia. And so you and I are going to talk about your story today. Let's talk about the very beginning. Your adoptive parents, your parents, did not think they could have children, Correct. Yes. Um, my mother and father have been together since the age of 15. Um, they got married at the age of 21. Um, they became Christians um, during college, and they started trying right away, um, and they were having difficulties. They found that my mother had endometriosis, um, and they just I think they were told that they weren't going to be able to have or conceive children. And seven years later, they decided to adopt or start the adoption process um, through another cousin of ours, actually, who had adopted two daughters from La Casa in Bogota, Colombia. Okay, so La Casa is the agency. Yes. Okay, so what did that process look like for them? Um, from what I understand, I think it's still very similar to today. Um, they had um, I mean, those visits from social workers that had to come in. Um, they needed references from friends, interview processes, lawyers, um, but in this case, my adoption, I think many adoptees that were adopted in the 60s, 70s, and 80s were closed adoptions. So, you know, at the time when it all happened, they weren't given much information of my history. How long did they wait before they knew about you? Um, I, I believe not that long. I know they received a phone call the day I was supposedly born. Um, and they said, LaCasa called them and said, we have a baby waiting for you. And they, I think within a few days, flew down there. Um, and they were able to see me, hold me. Um, but the problem is down in Colombia, the courts go on break for three weeks. So during that time, I believe my mom, my dad stayed for a week and then he had to go back. So obviously he has a job that he has to pay the bills. And my mother was able to stay down there for the three weeks. And during three weeks, she was able to visit me on a regular basis. Um, I was also a very healthy baby, and I thank God for that. Um, you know, she had, they both had been praying. Maybe they were writing God letters. And, you know, he obviously answered their prayers with me. I just cannot believe that they got a call the day you were born. And the only reason why I'm in shock is because that happens with domestic adoption, but usually with international, it's not that exact same day. How did La Casa do that? I am not sure, to be honest with you, if that was the case. Um, we did find, I have found out just recently that um, some information that my parents were not privy to at all, and obviously neither was I, that a lot of times La Casa gave fake birthdays. So I'm not sure if I was actually born December 21st, 1979, 
Um, I could have been born a few weeks prior to that. Um, I know of other adoptees that were adopted five months after they were born, three months after they were born, two years old, you know, so on and so forth. Um, so I don't have an answer for that exactly. I don't know if I ever will. Okay, so you could have been older than what they thought. I could have been. Um, they said I was six pounds, I think five ounces when I was born, so I was born a healthy weight. I mean, and when I got down there, I was like my mom looked and over obviously, and I was the pictures of me the day she she's, there's a beautiful picture of me in her arms and me looking straight up at her, and I got these cute little chunky cheeks, you know. <laughs> so I was one of the fortunate ones that um, seemed to be taken well care of. Okay, so it could have been. Uh, maybe a couple days different, but you were been, probably yeah. close to the same age. Now, did they do that because they were protecting the birth mother? I mean, um, why would they the change baby, dates? I don't know exactly for sure why they were doing that. They also, we found out just again recently that, you know, growing up, my mom told me because she didn't know. And of course, you know, you believe what you're told is that you know, the, my name, my name on my birth certificate was Jimena Para. I come to find out that La Casa named the children depending on the month they were born. Since I was born in December, I was one of the last letters of the alphabet. They also named, gave us fake last names. For me, it's a little strange. I am like one of the exceptions. Um, for example, um, I did, and we're going to get to this in a little bit, but my brother... Or Donia's, he was born in 75, I believe, or 70, yeah, 75. And so every single child that was adopted from Lacoste in 75 was given the last name Ordon, um, or, or, what did I just say, Ordonnais or whatever it may be. Oh. So, um, yes. So again, I guess that was them trying to protect the mothers, also thinking we would never go back and want to search for them. And if we did go back, we wouldn't be able to get the correct information or locate the mother, our biological mother. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so your parents go down there. They get you. Your mom is waiting. How long did she wait before she could bring you home? Three weeks. Three weeks. So we're in January now. So Yeah, January 13th. January 15th was the day um, I was officially signed up, and I came home. And so describe life back here. Obviously, you're a baby, so you don't know. But just talk about <laughs> growing up uh, as an adoptive child. I'm so thankful um, that God placed me in the home I was given. Um, not every adoptee has a story like mine. I grew up in a very loving, caring, supportive family. I can't even put a date on when they told me I was adopted. I think I just always have known that I was adopted. From the very beginning, they probably just sat down and told me and showed me papers and pictures, and um, they purchased a piece, uh, an emerald for me that I still have to this day because Columbia is also known for their beautiful green emeralds. I remember looking at my birth certificate and seeing my mother's, my biological mother's name on there. Um, so I've always known, which was great, um, about when I was, I was, I attended the Awana program at the age of six is when I actually came home and I said, Mom, Mom, I want to accept, you know, the Lord into my heart. And so at that point, you know, I really understood what it meant to be a Christian. And growing up from elementary school to middle school, I lived a regular normal childhood. When I hit middle school, um, there were points where at times I didn't necessarily feel like I fit in. And at that time, I really didn't understand it. 
And so I didn't actually express it in words. Um, a friend of mine brought up a good analogy. She's like, did it feel like this? Like you're, you're kind of bought as a dog, <laughs> you know, you're in, in a family of all golden retrievers and then you're the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I kind of felt like that. That's so funny. Now we have dachshunds, so we love dachshunds. Yeah. <laughs> I understand what you mean. And you know, you're not the first yeah. person to say in middle school as an adoptee is where things started to to change a little bit, where you started to say, oh, I'm different. Why do you think that is? Do you think other kids in that time period kind of realize, wait, you don't have the same color. You don't look exactly like your parents. Do you think that's why you start to think you're different? I was observing it. My friends had, like, my to this day, they're like, Jennifer, <laughs> they always say this. And I know some people, some adoptees don't like hearing this. I really don't mind. They're like, you're, you're quote, unquote, whiter than we are. You know, growing up in a typical all-American meat and potatoes type of family, um, that my friends didn't see it, but I felt it. Um, also, I do have to say, three years after I was adopted, my mother actually, my mother and father actually conceived and had my brother, my biological brother, and then 10 years after they adopted me, they actually conceived and had my biological sister. Um, so it was five of us in total, and they are all either brown hair, blonde hair, blue-eyed. And then there's me, <laughs> this nice tan Colombian. <laughs> um, and so I think at times it was difficult. And again, I just, I just kind of suppressed it. And I had my friends. I, had, I continued on, moved up into high school. Um, in high school, I was quote-unquote one of the popular girls. Um, I dated the football. I, I dated the captain of the football team. I was on homecoming court. Um, so through high school, everything kind of was okay. I had the boy, you know, I did all the social things. I then graduated high school. Academically, I was great. I graduated with honors. I got accepted to the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. I went up to Amherst, and that was probably the second time where I really felt um, feelings to, they started to rise and emerge. Um, and I didn't understand what was going on. I can remember going out to parties because that's what you do in college. Um, I wasn't really walking at that point in time, unfortunately. It's a Christian, you know, walk. I, I wanted to do me. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to party. I wanted to get the whole college experience. And I remember sitting outside and I would just cry. And I didn't really understand why. And I felt like I just didn't fit in. And up at UMass Amherst, everybody had a group. And really based on ethnicity to the most part or, or religious background. So you had Native Americans in one section. You had Colombians in one section. You had Cape Verdeans in another section. You had, you know, the Jewish or Oriental or Asian or whatever it may be. And they all seem to stick together. And there's me who, yeah, I'm Colombian, but I wasn't raised culturally Colombian. I don't speak Spanish. And so I actually started to feel very uncomfortable. Luckily, I had a good group of friends up there. I, I realized, I think at that point, I didn't know it, but I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. And so, long story short, I ended up actually coming home from UMass, and I, I went to Suffolk Community College. And at that point, my mom, mom knows you best, was like, Jen, why don't you think about going into teaching? My mother was a phys ed health teacher. And I was like, no, 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 because <laughs> you never listen to your mother. Right. And so I decided to take some health classes 
because I was starting to get interested in your body and your mind and your emotions and everything. And so I fell in love. Then I also needed a job while I was home, obviously. So I started working as a teacher assistant in the fourth and fifth grade, fourth and fifth grade level. And I was like, wow. I'm like, can I combine these? And my mom's like, um, yeah. <laughs> this is what I, I did as a career. Mm-hmm. So I ended up transferring to Hofstra. And at that point, I decided to go into health education. In the meantime, socially, I actually ended up meeting a guy. Um, I was 20 years old at the time. He was 27. We both professed that we were Christians. We really, um, really weren't walking the walk, but we clicked in a lot of ways. And so about three years later, I get my, I end up graduating college. We date, we're going to church. We end up actually getting engaged and get married. Buy a house, move in. Again, those families college and from middle school were suppressed, but they were coming out in other ways. I did not know that at the time, but that pain and that hurt and that loss will always show its way. One thing I've learned, um, whether, and at that point before or during while I met my husband, I would drink a lot and he did not like that. And so I wasn't allowed to drink while we dated and while we were married. I did it behind his back. I didn't tell him because I was like, who is he to tell me what to do? I would also go shopping a lot. Not thousands of dollars, but hundreds of dollars here and there on clothes for freaking. And all of a sudden, it became a problem. And he confronted me on it, and he rightfully so, because I wasn't telling him that I needed to deal with that. Um, and obviously I did, and I stopped. But, you know, I look back now and I was using all these different things as a void, a void filler. When, meanwhile, God was always knocking on the door and saying, Jen, I'm here, I'm waiting for you. But Jennifer did not want to listen. (laughs) Jennifer wanted to do Jennifer. Um, And unfortunately, that put a lot of stress on our marriage. Um, And in turn, I ended up leaving the marriage um, and he was extremely hurt. I couldn't understand why he was hurt because I was also hurt too from things that he had done. Um, and I didn't really understand the ramifications of what I did until I was, you know, 10, 15 years later. From there, I was like, okay, I now am free. I can do what I want. I can drink what I want. I can go out when I want. I can socialize when I want. I can go to the clubs when I want. Um, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to live on my own for once, um, pay rent, and just do me. And that's what Jennifer did. <laughs> I, um, I found a place to rent. I lived on my own. I was teaching. I'd been teaching. Um, career-wise was great. I was doing very well in my career. But I wasn't living for the Lord, and I was collecting up debt, drinking all the time, getting into romantic relationships where either they were, I was emotionally unavailable, and in some cases they were emotionally unavailable, or it was the point where I wasn't going to get hurt. I was never going to allow my someone to hurt me. I never understood that. Um, and so either I was going to hurt them first, or I was just going to walk away and move on. Mm-hmm. And I did that with several relationships after my marriage. Um, and it came to the point where 
my last relationship, which was about three years ago, I finally found some. I found someone that I thought actually I might be able to marry, and throughout that relationship, it became very, very dysfunctional. Um, there were control issues going on, and in turn, I was able to get out of that relationship. And I can remember about maybe three months after I got out of that relationship, I realized. All of a sudden, I think God, I actually started listening to God for once in my life. And I listened to him, and he was like, Jen, it's time. I'm like, huh? <laughs> like, what do you mean it's time? And I really started to reflect back and look at all my, rela- my romantic relationships since high school. And every single one, I either walked away or I hurt them before I walked away. Or I got into a relationship where they weren't going to able to love me the way I needed and I wasn't I wasn't going to be able to give them the love that they needed and I'm like what in the world is this why am I doing this and also how am I going to fix this because deep down I really did want to get married again I wanted to have a relationship I wanted to love somebody I wanted someone to love me and so at that point I went to my parents I said I think I need to put myself into counseling and Eight years prior to that, I did see a counselor while my ex-husband and I were separated. Um, and I wasn't ready at that point. And I think God knew that. And this, at this point, I was recommended a counselor, a Christian counselor. His name is Scott. I love him to death. He's a godsend. And um, I called him. He said, I want you to write down your whole entire story from beginning to end. Please email it to me. And I will be in contact with you. I'm like, oh, my goodness, what if he doesn't take me? (laughs) And so I get a phone call, and he's like, Jen? I said, yes. He's like, when can you come in? And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm actually doing this. And so I I sat down with him, and I said, I'm not sure what's wrong, but I know something's wrong, and I want it fixed. (laughs) Wow. On that, we have to take a break. But okay. That is amazing. First of all, there's a lot of things to think about with your story and just really knowing when your time is. You know, you try to push other people. Maybe you could get counseling or you try to give advice, but really it has to be up to the person. And so it sounds like at this point you're ready. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about how everything just completely unfolds for you. You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. We'll be right back. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670KLTT.com. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband, and I want to thank you for listening to this story on today's program. Do you have an adoption story? April and I have been through our own adoption journey, and I'd like to encourage you to contact us about sharing your story. You can do that by going to our website, adoption-now.com, and clicking on the Tell Your Story tab. Let's join together and inspire others. And now let's rejoin April and the rest of today's story. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we're talking to Jen. She is an adoptee. She was adopted from Columbia. And she talks a little bit about how her parents just really wanted to adopt a baby. And they got a call on the day she was born. They went over to Columbia. They brought her home as an infant. They ended up having two other biological children, 
And she just went through life feeling loved, but also questioning her identity and questioning how she felt and fit in. And so here we are in this part of her story where she's kind of gone wild. She's been doing Jennifer, but Jennifer isn't sure how to really live a successful life. It sounds like you were really successful in your job, but as far as your social life, you were struggling. And so now you meet Scott, your therapist, and he has agreed to take you on as a client. Yes. And I had been in therapy for the past two years. So now I can sit back and like reflect and see how I got to where I am now. He started off working on forgiving myself, asking God for to, to forgive me, and also forgiving me forgiving people that have hurt me, as well as reconciling um, some really close relationships. For example, my brother and my sister lived the typical, wonderful Christian life. You know, they walk the walk, they talk the talk. Me, not so much. And because I knew I, growing up I was not living that walk, I distanced myself tremendously from them. Now, let alone my sister and I are 10 years apart, so that has, you know, that has something to do with it, too. But my brother and I, I, I do regret, and I've talked to him, and I've apologized to him um, that I kept such a distance because we're only three years apart, and I feel like we should have been closer. And I didn't do that because I didn't want to, you know, let, I didn't want them to see what I was doing, and I didn't want to have an effect on them. Meanwhile, looking at now, I probably would have had an effect on them anyway. <laughs> but... Um, so, yeah, really, um, you know, writing, he had me writing letters to my parents, to my ex-husband, um, to my brother and my sister, and in some cases, obviously, reading it to him in therapy, then actually reading it to them and asking them to forgive me. And, you know, they have a choice. They don't have to. Um, they all have, thank goodness. Um, and, you know, from that point on, those relationships started to heal and be and get closer and as I was forgiving and healing myself the walls that I had put up around my heart began to crumble very slowly but they slowly started to because for 30 I would say 36 years of my life I know how to love myself I never felt that I was worthy of being loved and that actually goes back to the whole adoption issue I didn't know the impact that being given up or relinquished, as to use in the adoption world, relinquished from my biological mother would have such an impact on my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. um, and come to find out, I read this wonderful, amazing book called The Primal Wounds, and it gave me a lot of insight into the bonding that takes place between the biological mother and her child during... Um, during the nine months of pregnancy. And then at the end, once she, she delivers you, you know, as a baby, you're, you know, her voice, um, you know, when she's happy, you know, when she's sad, you feel it. And all of a sudden now that's and her scent. And now all of a sudden that is being taken away from you and you being a, a baby cannot verbalize that. And right there is a loss. Mm -hmm. um, and I have found that out obviously through therapy and as the law started to crumble, I started to feel emotions that I had never felt before. Yes, Jennifer was this always happy-go-lucky, smiley person, you know. She lights up her room, so on and so forth. That's what I heard all, all growing up. But yet I never showed sadness. I never cried. You know, I would look at when 
friends of mine lost their parents. You know, I couldn't really understand the feelings with it. Even with my parents, I really couldn't understand. And I'm like, this is horrible to say, and luckily it changed. But I was like, if my parents ever passed away, I mean, I would be upset, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be that emotional. And that kind of freaked me out. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why is that? And again, through talking with Scott and getting a lot of things out and processing a lot, about a year ago, actually a year ago this week, I went on a missions trip to Haiti. Again, God opened the doors, and so I was like, I'm going. When I had to say goodbye to my parents, I started crying, and I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) And all the way down to Haiti, I was crying. I'm like, okay, I can't cry the whole trip. This needs to stop. (laughs) Uh But I knew, and God had told me, and God had told me that, Jennifer, it is okay to cry. You need to cry. Because for me, I've never really cried. So it's very new and raw to me. And so on the way home from Haiti, I cried and I cried. <laughs> and um, and I came home and I'm like, I miss you guys. I miss you so much. I miss my brother. I miss my sister. I miss you guys. And I, it was hitting. God wow. was pulling down more yeah. of those walls. And I was beginning to feel pain and love at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a dichotomy that we talk about a lot with adoption is loss yeah. and love, appreciation and anger. Did you have a time that you walked through with Scott um, feeling angry at your parents that you weren't able to express yourself? The anger is still there. It will pop up from time to time. But I can't be angry at my parents. And this is because they did not know mm-hmm. what you guys know today. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm actually more angry at the adoption industry because... They, they, at the time, thought that closed adoptions were the best way to go. And so they watched us, the 60, 70, maybe adoptees, and watched us psychologically and said, whoa, all these adoptees now in their 30s, 40s, 50s are having major issues. And so they've watched this, and now, you know, you, you have open adoption where they get to, you know, um, bond with their biological mother, have a picture of their biological mother, history of their biological mother, um, and that wasn't given to us. So I can't be angry at them because I know if they knew all this information, they would have done it. You know, they would have done whatever needed to be, whether it was therapy, starting counseling, when I started middle school, when I was having the issues in high school. And part of it is me, too. I didn't open up. You know, and that goes to, and I'm not bashing Christianity, but I feel like in the Christian realm, a lot of times everybody puts on the adoptee, well, you should just be blessed. You should just be grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God chose this family for you, and you are a chosen one. Um, yes, you. God did choose me to be in his family, but that doesn't negate the loss and the pain of being removed from your biological mother. Mm-hmm. And a child, a teenager, or an adult, whenever it decides to surface, needs to be able to express that pain and that loss and go through the grieving process. And that's what I've been doing for the past four or five months, I would say. I think it's interesting that you are saying that um, open adoption is healthier. We talk about this all the time. Is it healthy versus is it not healthy? And the reason why open adoption became a thing is because birth mothers began to get a voice. It used to be that birth mothers had no voice. They were shipped away. Their baby was taken from them. Everything was closed. And not necessarily for the health of the child or not health of the child. It was more because they 
were shunned from society. And so now it's changed. And as a birth mother is brought to light and we almost are honoring them for making a choice that's so brave, you know, for them. And I mean, we, we talk about this all the time, different types of birth mothers, but the ones that are giving life and placing their babies, we want to honor them and, and they want to be a part of their children's life. And so open adoption is a thing now, but for you in Colombia, even if your parents would have said, we want to do an open adoption, how would they have found her? They changed your birthday. They gave you a different name. I mean, everything is so, back then was so different. Now we have Facebook, and you're going to talk a little bit about this whole unraveling. But that would have been even very difficult for your parents to say, you know what? We think Jen would be so much healthier if we had an open adoption. But then, then what? What's the next step? You know, it's changed so much, and I agree with you there. But I think that it's a natural progression of uh, adoption changing. Some even now, Jen, don't even choose that. They close it and they don't want anything to do with the whole adoption. They want to move on. And so children are left in the dark like you were. It's a double trauma. It's a trauma yeah. for the mother and it's a trauma Absolutely. for the child as well. I agree with you. you I know. think what we can do better if you don't have an open adoption, we, we focus a lot on that. And a lot of people have said, I feel so bad when I listen to the show because I don't have an open adoption. We don't either as a family. But what we do is listening to people like you and we start to talk to our children now. Do you feel sad? And they can't always put into mm-hmm. words like, I feel sad because I was left in a hospital. Yeah. I mean, they can't do that. But I can see some of their behaviors are abandonment behaviors. And we talked about that. Scott was taking you on a journey of realizing that you had abandonment issues, that you had to realize that there was brokenness in your life and restore that first. And probably what he wanted was you to get a support group going, forgiveness, and so that your family could come around you and be close to you to help you for what you were about to discover. So let's talk about this letter that you wrote that started everything. So I came, the day I came back from Haiti was a Saturday. The next Sunday um, was Mother's Day. <laughs> God, this wow. is a plan or what? So past, my pastor is sitting up there, and he had just, uh, speaking up there, and he had just um, lost his father. And he, he, he said to us, he goes, listen, he goes, something that I regret and something that I would love everybody to do is to write a letter to your mother and your father before they pass away and read it to them. And all of a sudden, in my head, and I know it's of God. He's like, Jen, you're going to go home today, and you're going to write a letter to your mother and to your biological mother. Wow. And my jaw just dropped, and I'm like, uh, because I've never mentioned my biological mother for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. So I did it. And I brought it, I brought it to Scott. I told my mom. He's like, I want you to read it to me. I'm like, at some point, I'm just going to start crying. <laughs> and so I brought it to Scott, and I read them both to him. And he goes, Jen, do you notice something? I said, what? And he goes, you couldn't end, you did not end your biological mother's letter. And I'm like, oh. And he's like, can you? And I said, no. And, and then I, I just kind of, you know, stepped back in my head and I'm like, yeah, because I don't know. And I will never possibly know. And so four months after that, back now we're going into November of um, 2016, I go, it's Thanksgiving Day. I go for a run, a race. I come back home, and I just start bawling, crying, and I know I can't control it. And I'm like, okay, I know this is going to happen. I know I need to cry. So I sat in my bed. I started writing a letter to my biological mother, thinking that might help. Four hours later, 
but these are still coming out. And so I called my mom. I said, Mom, and I'm like, Mom, I'm like, I can't come over for Thanksgiving. I'm like, I can't stop crying. She's like, I'll be right there. She came over. She sat me. She said, Jennifer, you cry for as long as you need. She's like, but you're going to cry at my house. Because <laughs> <So she laughs> there's house. a turkey in the oven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's like, you know, Chris and Alyssa are worried about you. And Alyssa thinks that this is, this is us might be too much for you. I said, no, it's amazing. I'm so excited that they're putting it out there. Um, <laughs> this is us. You mean the so, show? The show, yeah, <laughs> Randall and the inter, interracial adoption and all that. Uh-huh. It was great. E36 on 36 was perfect timing. And so from that point, three weeks later, again, it came up. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have money to hire a private investigator, but I want to, I want to start a search. So I emailed my parents because I was a little nervous, even though I know they would be supportive. So I emailed them and told them. And they're like, Jennifer, whatever you need. So I went over to the house. My papers were out. I sat down, and again, the tears started flowing. I was like, okay, they just have to come out. And my dad goes, and he goes, Jen, what do you need? I said, Dad, I don't know. I said, but I know I need to get this out. I know I need to grieve the loss. He's like, okay. My mom comes, my mom comes and she's like, well, why don't we just try Googling her name? I'm like, okay. So we type in Gloria Olga Para, and boom, a, a Twitter account and a Facebook account appears with a picture of a woman, and it says Gloria Olga Para. And at that point, my, my stomach drops, my heart drops. My mom's like all excited. She's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. She's like, open it. So I open it, and like one of the first sentences says, we are four out of five confirmed DNA brothers and sisters. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. Are you kidding me? I said, this is, um, I'm just like, God, what? what's going on? <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? And so I messaged the Facebook account, and I said, hi, my name is Jennifer. I said, I was going through my adoption papers. My, the woman who signed my, my biological mother who signed it was, is Gloria Olgapara. Um, and so Johnny responds, he goes he immediately, the first sentence that he wrote, you are my sister. I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean you're my sister? He's like, well, we're, he's like, so your name on your adoption papers, the signature says Gloria Olgapara. I said, yes. He's like, how old are you? I said, 36. He goes, where do you live? I said, Long Island, New York. He's like, no way. I'm like, why? He goes, my brother lives on Long Island, New York. I'm like, wait, what? And he goes, yes. And she's like, I'm sure he's going to chime in any second. And sure enough, Brandon chimes in. He goes, where did you grow up on Long Island? And I said, East Patrick. I'm like, where did you grow up? He said, Levittown. I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, how old are you? He's like, I'm 40. He's like, can I call you? I said, yes, please. <laughs> and so from that point on, we spoke for about three hours, which was very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Because as an adoptee that has no history, you and all the adoptees out there can relate to this, fantasize about who your biological mother is, why she gave you up, who you might be related to. Like, listen, I thought, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm a relative of Pablo Escobar. Maybe I'm, um, you know, um, like a, a, a relative of the president of Colombia. You know, you don't know. And so you have these fantasies in your head. And then to find out the truth, um, which was I was not expecting, obviously, it hurt. I, I was actually really stunned. I was sad. Um, but at the same time, I was also very nervous and excited. But if you would have asked me to express that a year ago, I wouldn't have been able to. Mm-hmm. This you was know? the right so now time. I'm actually, yes, it was perfect. It was God's timing, completely God's timing. And so story goes, Gloria Olga Para is really, her, name, her real legal name is Gloria Cita Para Figueroa. She is the woman who signed us over. We do not know if she's actually a biological mother because when Brandon actually confronted her via phone, she denied that it was her signature. She denied that she dropped us off. 
Um, but when you look at her and you look at us, the similarities are uncanny. Um, she does have a twin sister. <laughs> um, we believe she's her fraternal twin sister. Um, as of right now, there are six of us. Wow. There could be more. She, again, we have different theories. If she is a biological mother, she started getting pregnant when she was 13. She had me when she was 18. And obviously there could be up to another five or six more. Um, from what we understand, Gloria continued to bring at least one baby to La Casa a year for the, from the next, I don't know, maybe five, ten years after that. So there could be more of us out there. We don't know if she was forced to, you know, produce babies, if she was being, if her family was being paid to have babies and then sell them, which we're kind of thinking it goes that way because we, I've heard other stories. A friend of mine was actually abducted at the age of three from Bogota and then um, was adopted. So they were actually stealing children. They were stealing babies. They were selling babies. Um, and so that was extremely hard to hear yeah. um, the first night. And it, it, I'm still, this only happened a few months ago. So obviously I'm still processing all of this. Um, but it does help to talk about it, obviously. And that's why I'm doing this. Um, but the blessing out of it is that now I can build relationships too with my other brothers and sisters. Um, and we all share the same mom. We all have different dads for the most part. Um, Brandon and Johnny actually are full brothers. Um, the other ones are not. Wow. I'm like, Brandon, what's the next step? He's like, DNA. I said, okay. I'm like, he's like, it's like kind of like the more Povich one. It's a quick one. And I said, okay. <laughs> so um, hmm. within a month, I did a DNA with only him. In the meantime, I also ordered family tree DNA. So if you are listening and you are an international adoptee, Family tree DNA is the, is the most common one to use for international adoptions. Um, they have the biggest registry, so that's the one we, I chose to do first. And that would also confirm Tara and Johnny as being my half-brother and half-sister as well. And so um, the Maury Povich DNA test came back 97.7% that Brandon is my half-brother on my maternal side. That's my mother's side. And two months later, the family tree came back. And it appeared Johnny was first, Kara was second, Brandon was third. Wow. Relations, half siblings. Wow. There you go. <laughs> That's amazing. That my ethnicity as well, which was wonderful. So do you oh. feel happy? Yes. Or sad? Yes. Or, I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of different feelings, but here are these people that are blood related to you. I am happy. Um, I'm excited. Um, you know, I think biological families take it for granted and they won't be able to understand it. But to have, and especially when I got a, received a picture of Kara, my half-sister, um, she and I look so similar. And so for 36 years of my life, I had nobody to look at and say, oh, we have the same eyes, or that's my, you know, we have the same hair, the same smile, the same cheekbones, or same teeth, or so on and so forth. And now I look at her and I'm like, wow. I'm like, that's my biological half-sister, and I look like her. She's older than me, so, you know, um, so that has been pretty cool. And there are similarities, like, physically between Johnny and Brandon and I, but definitely more so. With, and when Brandon saw me, he was like, oh, my goodness. He's like, you guys, you, we have to be related because Karen and I have looked so much alike. 
um, the first time he told me, he kind of had to take a double take. <laughs> wow. That's um, so amazing. So, and you know, your yeah. parents seem very supportive of you. My parents have been wonderful. My brother and sister have been amazing. They've been so supportive, Jennifer, whatever you need, whatever you need us to do, if you want us to come with you when you first meet, you know, your brothers or your sisters or whatever it may be. And I'm so grateful and blessed for that because, again, within the past several months, looking for support groups and different um, support groups on Facebook and hearing other people's stories, there are a lot of families out there that just aren't very supportive. And, again, it's probably their issues. It's probably their fears. Um, that, you know, they're going to lose their child that they have raised and loved their whole entire life. Um, in some cases, it might be other reasons whatsoever. But as far as my family is concerned, unbelievably supportive. That is so um, amazing. And, you know, it, what's really crazy is that you and your brother were so close. I mean, you both were in New York. You were just a couple of train stops down and you were so close to each other. And then your other brother is in Colorado. So I hope you come out here. You meet him, <laughs> yeah, and you bring him on the show, and we can do a whole show with you guys here in studio. Oh, I would love it. I'm going to post the news link, and everyone can watch the story. It's unbelievable, and seeing them together is so special. I mean, it's a very special story, and I love your honesty, Jen, just how you talked about how you struggled and how God had a plan, and it helps us so much as adoptive parents realize, okay, I want to be open with my children. I want to talk about these issues. I want them to feel that we can talk about it. And I agree with you. I don't think your parents would have ever wanted to do that to you. And most parents didn't back then. But like you said, they just didn't know. There wasn't enough information out there. And so now we're moving in a totally different direction. We can raise our children in an open atmosphere, Christian or not, or part of a church or not. We can say, you don't have to be anything that you aren't. You can talk about sadness and happiness all in one place. This is the kind of family we are. And so we want to help other families do that as well. Thank you for coming on. Oh, it was my pleasure. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.